All right, our scripture reading for this morning is Proverbs 17, 17, Proverbs 18, 24, and Proverbs 27, 9. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kellen. And uh, good morning. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, thanks for being here. And we're uh, continuing in our series in the book of Proverbs and um, trying to understand what does it mean to be a truly wise person, to live the truly good and wise life together. And so as we uh, continue in that uh, this morning, I'd love to start uh, just with a, a, a brief word of prayer, asking God to uh, be with us in this. He is the one who has made the world. He is the one who knows how it works best and the one where all wisdom is found. So let's pray and ask him now, even as we look more closely at the book of Proverbs, that he would speak to us afresh this morning through his word. Father in heaven, thank you that uh, a relationship with you is the way to true wisdom. That wisdom isn't just uh, facts to be memorized, but it's a person to know. And I pray that as we hear these words of wisdom from the Proverbs this morning, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the best shows I've seen in the last few years is the uh, Netflix original show, Stranger Things. And I think it's, uh, it's done so well. And, and if you haven't seen the show, it tells the story of a group of, uh, of, of young friends who must face incredible darkness and even evil in the fictional 1980s town of, of Hawkins, Indiana. And I, and I love the show not only because of the 1980s nostalgia and the music and toys and, and fashion that it, that it recreates, uh, but also it's such an incredible picture of friendship one of the main themes of both seasons is this incredible picture of friendship. When one of the friends, Will, disappears on a dark and rainy night, not all that unlike last night, um, it's his friends who refuse to give up on him, refuse to believe that he's gone, refuse to believe that he's died, believe that, that Will is out there somewhere still alive. They refuse to give in to the darkness. You, you know, and every day, we face darkness around us in the world, also inside of us. And, and you know, Christians believe that, that darkness is, is not just something that has its sort of roots and, and manifestation in the physical realm, but there is a vast unseen spiritual realm in which a struggle is taking place. That there is something like an upside down that threatens to overtake any of us. It, it takes the form of, of loneliness and despair. It takes the form of, of, of frustration and sadness and isolation, feeling overwhelmed by the demands at work, feeling overwhelmed by schedules, by uh, pain and brokenness in relationships. Uh, we, we feel it in the battles that we wage against addictions and habits that we wish we could change but just seem so deeply entrenched in our lives. Those things about ourselves that we so desperately want to change but just seem to so stubbornly cling on. So how do we endure the darkness? 
how do we begin to peel it back? How do we begin to push it away? Well, as we look at the book of Proverbs, which we've been doing for the last few weeks together, one of the major themes that you see in the book of Proverbs is the theme of friendship. And this morning, I want to suggest that the way that we push back the darkness is through building lasting friendship relationships. That one of the primary ways that we can begin to push back the darkness is to build lasting friendship relationships. Friendships that endure over time push back the darkness. And in the the wisdom literature of the Proverbs that we've been studying, we've said this uh, each week we've been together, that, that wisdom is the skill at living life well in God's world. That wisdom is skill in living life well in God's world, in the world that he's made. And in the book of Proverbs, as you study it, it begins to become clear that you cannot live well in God's world without friends. You cannot live well in this world that God has created without friendship to push back the darkness. Mike Cosfer, uh, writing about the theme of friendship in the show Stranger Things, he, he makes what I think is a really profound observation. He says this, he says, our connections to one another aren't a luxury. They're essential to our flourishing, a buffer against a dark and hostile world. That our connections to one another, those aren't just a, a luxury that sort of make life a little richer. No, these are essential that provide, they provide this buffer against the darkness and hostility of the world. Friends, we cannot live well in the world that God has made without friends. And if you're here this morning, you need friends. You need friends who are going to help you push back the darkness. The corollary of that then also is that if you're here this morning, there are people in your life who need you to be a friend, to help them push back the darkness. So if you look at the book of Proverbs and you trace this theme of friendship through, what do you find? If you were to put the question to Proverbs, what is a friend who pushes back the darkness? What is that friend like? What would you find? That's what we want to look at this morning. What is, what is the kind of friend who pushes back the darkness? What do they do? What is that kind of friend like? And the first thing that we see is that a friend who pushes back the darkness knows how to be alone. Friend who pushes back the darkness knows first how to be alone. Now, that, that might sound surprising, maybe a little bit of an unexpected turn. Wait a second, isn't friendship about being together? Aren't you just saying we, we need to be together? That's part of what it is to push back the darkness, and, that, and that's true. But the capacity for solitude is where becoming the kind of friend who can push back the darkness begins. Because you can't be the sort of person who pushes back the darkness until you know your own heart. We've pointed out every, almost every week, I think, about the, the centrality of the theme of the heart, not only uh, in the, the, the book of Proverbs where it comes up so much, but even just in the whole Bible. You can't put back, push back the darkness until you know your own heart. And you can't know your own heart in the clamor of distraction. 
Several weeks ago, we looked at the idea of the heart in the Hebrew Scriptures, and, and the, the heart is the place where we know, where we desire, where we love, where we long for. It's the place where we feel, where we make decisions. Uh, it's Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 27.19 says, a fa- as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Do you know your heart? Do you know that that real person that is you? Are you able to be alone with that person in the mirror? Now, there's a a big difference between solitude and isolation, between solitude and loneliness, right? Because uh, isolation and loneliness, that's part of the darkness that, that friendship is, is given to us as, as a gift to begin to push back. But solitude is, is different. It's not isolation. It's not loneliness. Solitude is the capacity to be by yourself, to be alone with your own thoughts, to be able to put down your smartphone, to be able to turn off the car radio and just sit for a moment by yourself, to hear your own thoughts, to know what you're thinking, what you're feeling. When we're able to be alone, we develop that capacity uh, for solitude. When we're able to do that, we bring to our friendships who we really are and are able to be fully present in those relationships. You're never going to be the kind of friend that your friends need if you can't be alone. I think Sherry Turkle, who is MIT sociologist, has written a number of books. One of her most recent ones, Reclaiming Conversation, is one of the best uh, books that I've read in a long time. And, and she points out the, the need for this. It's almost sort of like this put your own oxygen mask on before helping others principle. And, and she, she points out that for conversation, that's a book about conversation, which is the lifeblood of friendship, right? This deep and uh, rich conversation. And in her book on conversation, she starts off with the need for solitude, with the capacity to be alone. Here's what she writes. She says, the capacity to be alone is the capacity to know enough about yourself and who you are and be comfortable enough with that. That way, when you're with another person, you're not trying to make that person into somebody you need them to be in order to buttress your own fragile sense of self you can actually turn to a person and see them as another person and have a real relationship with them. Solitude gives us the ability to enter a friendship and and to to really be there for the other person, not just for what we need to get out of it. And Jesus models this for us again and again in the Gospels. As you read about Jesus' life lived on earth, you see again and again in the Gospels this pattern of him withdrawing to be alone, to pray. And then out of that space of, of solitude, going out to love and to serve. If we're going to love and serve, we need this space of solitude. If you want to be the kind of friend who can push back the darkness, with others, you have to have that capacity to be alone. 
Uh, recently, I, I've discovered or, or sort of rediscovered the, the joy of, of audiobooks. So I've been listening to a lot of books lately. I mean, with a smartphone and a pair of headphones, I mean, you, can, you can read while you're doing anything, while you're driving, while you're exercising, cleaning the house. And, and it's been great to kind of rediscover this, this new way or this other way of reading. And for someone who just loves to take in and learn, it's been fantastic. But I'm, I'm beginning to see already in just the last month and a half or so that I've been diving into that world of audiobooks, how that so quickly can begin to cut into sort of erode that capacity for solitude. I'm into some story, I'm into some book, and it's like, I just live five minutes from here. But it's like, oh, instead of just driving with my own thoughts from home to here in five minutes, I want to put in those earbuds and get another few minutes of the book down. You know, our solitude muscles, they atrophy really quickly if we don't regularly exercise them. So maybe is there even just a little block of time this week where you can, you can carve out a few minutes for solitude. And again, right, think about this like running. If, you, if you're not a runner or you haven't run much in your life or it's been a while since you've run, you're probably not going to say, okay, this, this Saturday afternoon, I'm going to go out and run for two hours. Now the same thing goes with solitude. Maybe don't start and say, I'm going to try to find a whole three-hour block where I can do this. No, just start, you know, like you're running, I'll, I'll try 15 minutes of running, just kind of start in on it. Same thing here. 10, 15 minutes on the drive to, to work, on the way picking up the kids from school. Maybe take a walk without a podcast, without music, just to hear yourself think for a minute. What is it that keeps you from that? Friends who push back the darkness, they have learned to be alone so that they can be fully present when they're together. Okay. So first, these friends who push back the darkness, they learn to be alone. But then second, friends who push back the darkness, they tell the truth, even when it hurts. Friends who push back the darkness, they tell the truth, even when it hurts. So a friend who will push back the darkness with you is someone, who, someone who's going to stand with you through thick and thin, someone who's going to be there when everything seems to be falling apart, is someone who will tell you the truth, both the good and the bad. And we need that. We need that because so often we don't see ourselves clearly. Pastor uh, Henry pointed out last week that one of the sure marks of a fool is that they are wise in their own eyes. A fool, the proverb says, is wise in their own eyes. We have blind spots. We need friends who see us clearly and then speak to us truthfully. Because we can't often see ourselves clearly, both the good about ourselves and things that need to change, things that need to, to be corrected. Those who push back the darkness know how to encourage. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Anxiety in a person's heart, it weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Anxiety in our hearts can be crippling, but sometimes all it takes is, is a word of encouragement, a, a text from a friend, 
a, a quick phone call, a, a hug, just to say, I, I care about you. I was thinking about you today. You're doing a good job. You're really good at whatever it might be. Uh, last Saturday, so a week ago yesterday, um, I was I sat for my ordination council. So in our denomination, there's sort of two, it's a two-step process you, for to get credentialed. You get licensed first, and that's what kind of gives you the, the, the legal status as a pastor to do marriages and all those kinds of things. And then uh, if you want, you can pursue later on this, this uh, sort of second step of, of full ordination in the denomination. So I, I did my licensing a long time ago, but finally uh, got around to finishing, completing, pursuing this, this full ordination. And there's a lot that goes into that process. There's character references and um, all kinds of things. But one of the big pieces of it is you have to write a a 40-page sort of doctrinal explanation of our our statement of faith as a denomination, and then you have to defend that before a council. And so last Saturday was that defense. I had turned in my paper, this whole group of 10 pastors and church leaders had read that, and then I, I sat for nearly five hours and was just questioned uh, on how I understood different points of theology and interpretation of Scripture, and it was exhausting. <laughs> um, and the night before, I was anxious. I was anxious about going into that. But gathered with some of my closest friends here in Kansas City, we were having dinner together, and throughout that evening, some of our other campus pastors and their, their wives, every single one of them at some point in the evening spoke words of encouragement to me. Bill, you're going to do well. This is the kind of thing you excel at. This is, this is what you're good at. You don't have anything to worry about. You're going to do a good job. And those words, they, they did lessen that anxiety. And, and I, I passed, by the way. So I, I realized in first service, I didn't written that into the script. So uh, it's like, I can't leave them hanging. So they, they, they affirmed that uh, defense of the doctrinal statement and all that and moved on. But that that anxiety was heavy, and my friends lifted the burden with me in the midst of that. But what separates friends from acquaintances, what separates true friends who will stand with you and push back the darkness from everyone else is not just that they'll speak words of encouragement to you, though we desperately need that, but, but what really marks out true friends who will push back the darkness with you, who will stand with you in the mess, are those who are willing to tell you the truth, even when it hurts, even when it's hard to hear. Proverbs 27.6 explains it like this. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. The wounds of a friend, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. See, true friends are willing to tell you the truth even when it hurts, even when that feels like a wound as you're receiving it, even when it's painful. Those who truly have your best interest in mind, who are truly a friend, who will stand with you, push back the darkness, will will tell you the truth. And, and again, that's what makes the difference between a friend and an enemy. In, in the Proverbs, that's the, con, that's the contrast there, right? An enemy is willing to tell you anything so long as it serves their interests. They're willing to flatter you all day long so long as it helps them get what they want. A true friend will not do that to you. A true friend will tell you the truth 
even when it feels like a wound. I remember when I was a pastoral resident um, about 10 years ago, I was right out of seminary, just learning what it meant to be a local church pastor in our residency program here. And I was probably about six months in and uh, sat down for sort of an early check-in performance review with a couple of my mentors. And I still remember this so clearly. And uh, they said, you know, you're doing a great job. We just want to give you some encouragement, some feedback. And and they said, one of the things we've noticed, Bill, is that when you're in, in meetings and we're sitting together around a, a, a table, like around a round table, um, you have a tendency to sort of, sort of lean on the table and kind of lean in like this. And it makes it hard for people sort of on either side of you to sort of see around you and, and make eye contact with other people. And I was completely oblivious of this. I, mean, I just was totally oblivious, doing my thing, being really socially awkward in meetings had no idea. But they loved me enough to point out something that you kind of think, well, that's not that big of a deal. But honestly, had they not done that, I'd probably be still doing that socially awkward behavior in meetings around tables just because I was not aware. They loved me enough to tell me that. Of course, one of my dearest, perhaps the dearest friend I have in all the world is my wife, Rachel. (laughs) And she's had a lot of these moments with me of telling me the truth when it hurts. Uh, I won't go into all of them today. Um, But one of the things early on, and and she continues to remind me of, she says, Bill, you are so good at at learning and taking in information. And just know when you're talking with people about what you heard on the radio this week or what book you're reading, just know they are not necessarily going to be as interested in all the details of that as, as you are. Um, in other words, you can be boring in conversation sometimes. You need to dial it back. Just try out a few things, and if they want more, if they keep asking questions, give more. But uh, don't, don't go in so deep on, on anything that you're interested in. Just assume that everyone else is as interested as you uh, about what you're learning and thinking about and reading. That's helpful, right? Now, in those moments, in that moment, I still remember the Starbucks so clearly where they said, you, you need to stop leaning awkwardly in at meetings. Um, and in those moments and those conversations, those hurt, right? They're embarrassing. Gosh, I was oblivious of that. I feel foolish. It's embarrassing. Oh, I can't believe I've done that with people and just bored them. Those aren't fun moments. They're painful. But I'm better for it. And I have such a, a deep respect and love for the people in my life who are willing to say those things to me. Because I know they love me. <laughs> they enough to tell me the truth, even when it hurts. If you want to be wise, you will welcome the wounds of your friends. Right? It is the sure mark of a fool that you will not receive the wounds of your friends, but you would prefer the flattery of an enemy. This is what we are called to do in one another's lives, to speak the truth. This is how we grow. This is how we get better. This is what we're called to. Proverbs 27, 17. This is a picture of what it means to grow, how we get better, how we become wise. 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Uh, for a long time at Christ Community, we've, we've done a, a class called Razor's Edge. 
some of a picture of how do we follow Jesus in all of life and learn to follow him more faithfully and have a live an integrated whole life raises that the language of that class, that name, comes from this proverb. It's a place where we want to sharpen one another and grow. Friends who push back the darkness, they encourage one another in the truth, they confront and challenge one another with the truth, they sharpen each other. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you willing... Are you willing to receive hard words from your friends? And do you love your friends enough to say hard things to them? To tell them hard things? I, I actually think this is one of the biggest challenges in the church, and, and part of this could be uh, Christian culture, part of this I think could be Midwestern culture, but so often we are paralyzed by niceness. And, and, and don't misunderstand what, what I'm saying here. When we speak hard things to one another, we need to do it with incredible kindness, with empathy, empathy with love, with, with patience. But, but kindness is sort of different than this kind of sense of niceness. Sort of a, a niceness that says, you know, I, I know this person does this thing and it annoys everyone and I care about them, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to cause a problem. If we want to grow together in our workplaces, in our homes, in our church family, we have to be able to say hard things. Yes, with kindness, with love, at times with tears in our eyes. But we have to be able to say the hard things to one another. It's what it is to be a friend who pushes back the darkness. I struggle with this. I want people to like me. I want to be a nice guy. I don't like making people mad. But sometimes we fail to love because we just won't say what needs to be said. So friends who push back the darkness, they know how to be alone. They're willing to tell the truth even when it hurts. And this next one flows uh, right out of, of this point, that friends who push back the darkness forgive even when there's no excuse. Friends who push back the darkness, even when there's no excuse. Take a look at Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats who repeats a matter, separates close friends. Friends who push back the darkness are willing to confront. They're willing to handle the hard truth. They're willing to say the hard things. And they are also quick, so quick to forgive, even when, especially when, there is no good excuse for what was done. It it was C.S. Lewis who first introduced me to the distinction between excusing and forgiving. And it's been one of the most helpful uh, distinctions for me as a person, for as a pastor, because there's a big difference between excusing and forgiving, right? We excuse someone when there's a good excuse for what happened. So early this week, I was meeting with a couple. I'm going to do their wedding next year, and uh, we were going to get together to have, have coffee and talk about the ceremony, and, um, and they, they were late, and I kept wondering, where are they? And then I got a, I got a text saying, hey, we, we went to the wrong coffee shop. We were going to meet at Crow's Coffee. There's two, actually, I think there's three now, but there's one down by UMKC. There's one here in Waldo. I was at the Waldo one. They were at the UMKC one. The lines had gotten crossed. 
They texted, hey, we'll be, we'll be there. We just went to the wrong spot. That's a good excuse. I just, no worries, not a big deal. We'll see you in a few minutes. Right? That didn't need forgiveness. There wasn't a, a moral wrong that had been done. In fact, if I had texted back, I forgive you. <laughs> I actually probably would have been a little offensive to them. Like, okay, like we just got the wrong coffee shop, right? Um, did we really commit some moral wrong? As you know, that's once you need, you need just an excuse, excuse, no worries. You see, forgiveness comes in when there is no good excuse. Forgiveness is for the part when that there, that's inexcusable. That's where we really need forgiveness. And you know, we forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And, and friends, so often in our friendships, we are willing to excuse. We're willing to say, no big deal, not a problem. But when there comes something for which there is no excuse... And someone has truly wronged you. There is no good excuse for what they've done to you. There is no good excuse for what they said to you, for how they treated you. We walk away. We leave them behind. But friends who push back the darkness forgive even the inexcusable. Now don't misunderstand Forgiveness does not mean that there isn't any accountability. It doesn't mean that there isn't any challenge or confrontation. In fact, quite the opposite. Forgiveness actually implies that you're doing all of those things, right? A true offer of forgiveness necessitates a real wrong having been done, not just being late for a meeting. Forgiveness means there is something really, truly wrong that has been done. Forgiveness does not overlook or ignore wrongdoing. Sometimes that's a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. No, forgiveness does not overlook wrongdoing. It does not ignore wrongdoing. Forgiveness looks wrongdoing full in the face and names it for what it is and says, you know what? I'm willing to absorb that debt. I'm willing to not make you pay. I release you from what you owe me. Forgiveness names the wrong that's been done. You, you can't, there's no other way to forgive. It's not an overlooking. It's not a sweeping under the rug. It's, it's a looking at it for what all it is in, in its full ugliness, naming it for that, and then saying, I release you. I release you from that. Do you forgive like that? Have you been forgiven like that? Friends, if we are going to push back the darkness, then we have to forgive one another. Especially when, especially when it's those moments for which there is no excuse. Now, we say, I know that's complicated. I don't know your particular story in this moment, what struggle you might be having, what nuance you might be having. I know I don't want to be overly simplistic in that. Forgiveness doesn't exclude consequences. Often forgiveness exists alongside of very real, enduring consequences. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't put good boundaries in place. 
But friends, we need to lead with the impulse to quickly, without hesitation, forgive even the inexcusable. Because that's how we've been forgiven. So friends who push back the darkness, they know how to be alone. They have the ability to tell one another the truth, even when that hurts. And they're willing to forgive one another in those moments. And that is all possible because friends who push back the darkness, they love no matter the cost. Friends who push back the darkness love no matter the cost. Take a look at, at Proverbs 7, 7, or 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. At all times is when the friend loves. They love when things are going well. They love when they celebrate with you, when things are, are exciting and joyful in your life. And they are also there when it's hard, when it costs, when it's inconvenient. That's what, again, marks out a true friend who stands with you and pushes back the darkness from just an acquaintance. And it's fine to have acquaintances in our life. We all have those people who are happy to show up to a party or go to a happy hour with us or to, to watch the game with us. That's great. But what separates your true friends from just those acquaintances in your life is that they're willing to show up and be there not only when it's easy, not only when it's casual, but when you are in pain, when it costs them something, when it isn't convenient, when it's hard. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for your good. That, That sacrifice can look like giving your friends the space they need when they need it. Staying committed even when it doesn't feel great or you don't know uh, how things are going to turn out with them. Forgiving them rather than retaining bitterness. Biting our tongues rather than gossiping about them. Showing up at at inconvenient times. is accepting where the other person is at in that moment even if that is painful for where you are at. A friend loves at all times. You might be saying, Bill, are there actually friends like this out there? And there are. They're rare. They're they're a treasure to be held on to. But they do exist. I'm I'm reminded of this every time I think about my first week of college, my freshman year, first time on my own, that first week of college, settling in the dorm, I met Tim Erickson and John Chadbourne. And for the past 17 years, Tim and John have stood with me. We've linked arms and we've pushed back the darkness together in our lives. We know the yuck. We know the pain. We know the hurt in one of those lives. We have pushed back the darkness again and again together. We've ended up in all kinds of different places. John lived in Paris for a while. We all live in different places in the U.S. right now. We've gotten married, we've had kids, our families have grown, and yet those are some of the first people I call with my best news and with my hardest news. Push back the darkness together. I hope you have some people in your life like that. But I also know the reality of the world in which we live means that sometimes those people just aren't in our lives. Sometimes they've been in our lives, but through our mistake, their mistake, that they've 
we've lost those relationships. Sometimes we lose those relationships through death. Sometimes um, we just drift apart. But there is someone waiting for you. Someone inviting you into a relationship like that. Someone who will never leave you or forsake you. You see, Jesus, at the end of his life on earth, as he was about to go to the cross for his friends, he says these words to them, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. The reason why friendship is so important is that Jesus calls us, he calls you, he calls me his friends. And you just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus calls us friends. The God of the universe came down in flesh to know what it is like to be human, to offer his friendship. Jesus lived on this earth as someone who could be alone. He knew when he needed to withdraw and when he needed to to press in and be with people. He knows what's in the heart. He knows what's in your heart because he has a heart. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to be rejected by friends, to be betrayed by friends. He spoke honestly even when he knew it would mean he'd be rejected. He continues to be honest with us. He continues to tell us the truth about ourselves. He doesn't hold back even though he knew that we would reject him. Jesus forgives us on the cross. His heart is open to us. In fact, on the cross as he is dying, Jesus forgives those who are killing him. And in that moment, he took on every one of our betrayals and mishaps and rejections and loss of relationship and broken hearts and abuse and pain and trauma and anger. All of that goes on to Jesus in the, in the moment of his death on the cross. And he felt at his core all of that pain and betrayal and he died and forgave them. So he knows what it is to have a really hard time forgiving and yet to forgive anyway, to absorb the debt into himself. His grace and his love are there for you. Jesus loves sacrificially. You know, we will mess up. We will damage our friendships, we'll damage our relationships. We will stay in relationships too long. We will withhold the truth. We will harbor bitterness instead of forgiveness. We will make those kinds of mistakes. But even then, even when there's no excuse, Jesus stands ready and able to forgive you because that's what forgiveness does. It forgives the inexcusable. No matter what you've done, no matter what happens in this life, Jesus says, I forgive you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He is the true friend. And each week when we come together, we celebrate communion, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a reminder 
of the forgiveness that makes our friendship with Jesus, our, our relationship with him possible. The, the friendship that he gives us through forgiveness is what makes us able to forgive and, and, and love and maintain relationship with one another. This picture of forgiveness, this reality of forgiveness is what makes friendship possible and sustainable because we hurt one another. So every week we gather, we take communion, we're reminded of Jesus' covenant, the covenant in his blood, which is, he says, for the forgiveness of sins.